When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All Things Podcast. This episode is titled, Learn to Use AI to Become a Better Web Developer. Now, this is going to be all about AI, of course, but this episode was actually written before all the open AI drama, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and this episode is probably going to be sitting in the edit on the editing table for a week plus, so by the time you listen to this, it may have even changed a lot, changed a lot from where it is now, because this open AI situation is moving very, very quickly. It's all over the place. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server, share this with your friends. And before we jump into the meat and potatoes of using AI to become a better web developer, Mike, you wanted to discuss the current Sam Altman OpenAI situation as it stands today, as of the recording, because God knows whether it'll be different tonight. So take it away. It could be different right now if I haven't checked Twitter in, you know, 10 minutes and uh, (laughs) something could have radically changed. So because that's how literally how fast stuff was moving. Um, Since Friday, I've pretty much been like just staring at the screen and throwing popcorn back uh, because it's just been an extremely interesting situation that's been happening and it's very relevant to well first of all this episode that we wrote last week like you said before any of this happened and it's really relevant for the future of ai which is super important for web developers because a lot of what we're doing right now i'll cover in this episode is kind of maybe not dependent on ai but can be enhanced by ai and like for someone like me that's kind of dove in and is using all the tools that are given to me right like I'm, i'm not someone that's like I'm going to hold out because I don't believe in this stuff. And like, I think it's going to take people's jobs. I think the reality is you have to kind of, you have to be okay with advancements. And if you're not, you're going to be left behind. So I have dove in. Uh, And so before we jump into all that stuff, I do want to talk about what happened. Because I know some people that are listening to this podcast probably have lives and uh, (laughs) haven't been able to follow this ever evolving story that changes every second. So I'll go I'll go through like kind of kind of the main points of what happened on Friday evening, pretty much uh, before, I guess, close of markets. Uh, it was made known that Sam Altman, uh, the CEO of OpenAI, and that's the that's the biggest company that currently, you know, uh, essentially has the biggest products in terms of ChatGPT, GitHub Copilot, all the stuff that developers probably use. He was ousted by the board as CEO. So he was fired. With him left his, uh, I think, CT, no, um, was it CT? Anyway, with him left the COO uh, as in solidarity. And then everything started to crumble. Right. Initially, the CTO was made CEO, but that also kind of unraveled really quickly because most everyone on the OpenAI team, and when I say most everyone, I mean 
pretty much every single employee in OpenAI has at this point signed an open letter saying that they will leave OpenAI if Sam Altman is not reinstated as CEO. And they can do that because Sam Altman didn't just leave while well, he left. He tried to come back. He was again not let uh, the board did not let him come back. He was then hired by Microsoft along with his COO to run their AI division. And this is a big deal for many reasons, but one of the biggest ones is that Microsoft is the primary investor in into OpenAI. They they own 49%. They don't own it, they're invested 49% or something. It's it's kind of a very complicated situation, but they, they're invested 49%. They essentially have 49% control of OpenAI to some degree. So they don't have majority, but they have a very big stake. And the big part of that 49% investment is they own the code and the technology that's been developed right now up to the point of something called AGI, which is, I think, uh, artificial general intelligence. That's when we can like be like, oh, this is this computer is actually like cognizant, right? So we we are, we're not at the point where we're where we're, where we've developed AGI. But everything before AGI, Microsoft technically has rights to any of the technology, which means if Microsoft hired Sam Altman, and as of speaking right now, I believe around 750 of the 770 employees have signed the open letter to leave OpenAI and move to Microsoft, they could essentially take all the employees, take the technology, and spin up their own tools, all the tools that we're going to mention in this episode, essentially, for free, right? Other than that, obviously, have to pay the employees. They probably paid Sam Altman quite a bit to, to join them. Um, but in, in the grand scheme of things, usually a buyout of a corporation like OpenAI, which is the fastest growing company to ever exist, would have been in, you know, $100 billion. I don't know how much it would have been, but probably over $100 billion to buy it out, really, fully, if, if that would even if that was even an option. This is going to be a much cheaper acquisition, quote unquote, and they will own the AI industry essentially without something Matt mentioned is like they're going to get hit with an anti-competitive clause. This is without even being able to get hit with that because they're not buying anything. They're just hiring people that are going on their own volition that want to go to Microsoft. So they're not buying any technology. They're yeah, just they're not, using they're not their merging. licensed. Yeah, they're not merging. They're just using the licensed the licensed code and rewriting it essentially in their own sphere and they'll have their own wing. So if you've noticed, uh, if you've been following the Microsoft stock, I don't know why you would randomly be following that, but you might be, it's gone up even though the turmoil of their biggest investment ever pretty much into this, into open AI has been turmoil. There's a reason for that. And like, like I just outlined, the reason is that this is a crazy turn of events that might actually benefit Microsoft more than anyone and might destroy a company that was, again, one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing companies ever in terms of valuation and in terms of usage as well. Like, I believe it's the fastest growing company to ever be like, like they had a product, ChatGPT. It's ChatGPT is the fastest growing product ever. Like, it's an insane situation in terms of impact across multiple different spheres like developers aren't the only ones using stuff like chat gpt right now 
ChatGPT is used by almost every industry for general tasks, uh, queries, like as a as a replacement for Google or Wikipedia. Like there's just so many things that you can do with ChatGPT. That's not to mention all the other services they offer. So this is a crazy situation. I haven't covered everything because again, stuff changed every couple minutes. But the grand scheme of things, like I think, I think this gives you a good picture of what's happening. So when I'm going to be talking about stuff like ChatGPT, GitHub Copilot, OpenAI in general, neck uh, right after this, just have a have in mind that some of the stuff that I'm talking about might not exist in the next couple weeks, or it might still exist, might be renamed, might have to wait a few months before it's back live if Microsoft is going to redevelop it. Everything is very much up in the air, but overall, like tools like this will probably be existing for a very long time. So even if ChatGPT goes down, I'm 99% sure that Microsoft will get a version of ChatGPT up very quickly uh, in the next you know, couple months or whatever, if everything goes according to their quote unquote plan. I, I, I don't think this was planned by Microsoft. I want to say that very clearly, even though everything worked out <laughs> seemingly for them. Uh, I think this is way too crazy of a situation to happen to be planned, but it does seem like they might be the one to benefit. Well, that that was one thing that I told you before was I thought they were going to get hit by um, uh, antitrust. I keep saying non-completed antitrust is what I meant. And that, that that's because I thought, OK, they've recently purchased seemingly unrelated, but they've recently purchased Activision Blizzard, which is a huge part of the gaming universe. And then to marry AI and the gaming universe together, they recently announced an initiative to allow or to get developers to use generative AI inside of video games. Presumably, I'm not a game developer, so this might be a little wrong, but presumably for, for quote unquote, the more boring roles, which are the random NPCs that walk around and say stuff, instead of you hearing the same, like, whoa, that's crazy. Like every, every 10 minutes, you will have like a generative AI that will, you know, make maybe a couple hundred of those or something like that without having an employee write them and without having someone, well, maybe someone will have to record it, but you know, whatever. However, the game studio decides to develop their product. Although I'm sure the AI could generate some audio as well. Um, but anyway, that like beyond that, I thought, okay, we have like a marrying of AI of which Microsoft was already heavily involved in with GitHub, GitHub Copilot. Uh, obviously, your Bing AI slash your Copilot stuff, right? Or your Bing chat uh, as it is now. And then there was also the use uh, GPT-4 switch, which I don't know if that was just for people that have Microsoft 365 or not, but I had it anyway in my Microsoft Edge browser. Uh, and so you could do that. Then there was also the related, of course, bing.com slash create, which creates the graphics. So it's like Microsoft before all this situation, my point is, is that Microsoft was already very much in the AI space. And so I thought, okay, if they just made a huge purchase in the gaming space, went through a massive court battle about that with their competitors, namely Sony. And then you went through a huge, you know, overhaul, not even overhaul, I guess, creation of your AI division, you know, over the last year or two. Because GitHub Copilot was was around much longer than Copilot, as far as I know. So just to clear it up a little bit, uh, everything that you're talking about, all of the AI pieces, Mm -hmm. none of that was in-house. Right, All of okay. that was open AI. All of it. Every, like every, every, bit of every it. piece of AI that you mentioned that they have is all running on open AI's APIs. Even if you're using Bing chat slash copilot, 
without the without the without the GPT four toggle on. Correct. That's still OpenAI. Well, okay. Let me let me let me clear that up as well. Like the if you're using Bing Chat, yes, all OpenAI. If you're using Bing Search without Chat, then it's just regular search. Yeah, like Bing.com. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because in so just to be clear, because like because so just be clear to the audience here is like you're super into this. I'm using it absolutely, but I'm very much a consumer of AI. I don't, I haven't, I don't really look this stuff up, you know, too often type of thing. Um, so Microsoft Edge, the browser for a long time now, but a, I want to say a year that might be too long, but around a year has had the little Bing chat bubble in the top right. You can click that and there's your sort of chat bot. I called it Bing AI for a long time. It's now changed over to Copilot and then. And co- it's just like Copilot powered by Bing Chat or something like that. Okay. And then they added eventually the use GPT-4 toggle. So absolutely everything in that string is what is what you're saying is everything in that feature set, I guess, in that evolution of that product over the last year or so was all open AI. Yes. What about GitHub Copilot? Because I know Copilot for GitHub specifically – was way earlier. I know it was in a beta and like whatever, some testing phases and such like that. But that was way earlier than we ever got even chat GPT. All open AI. That was their first product on top of their investment in open AI was GitHub Copilot. It was in like in the beta stages when they announced it. It was all like everything that they've done, every piece of AI. They don't, I don't, I believe they don't even have an AI division. Of sorts, like Sam Altman is now the head of their new AI division. Okay. Right? So they never – they didn't even have one really before. It was just like their entire their, – their entire infrastructure was based on the bet on open AI. Okay. So like <laughs> they they basically interfaced open AI's AI and tooling and all that with their products like Edge and with Windows 11 if you have uh, Copilot installed and whatever. Yeah, and it's all running on Azure. Like OpenAI is fully running on Azure. That was like one of the deals that they made. Classic. Yeah. A little bit. But so, okay. So with all that being said then, you said you mentioned that there was a cutoff. So like Sam Altman and them have the rights in some way, and I want to be clear this is not legally this is not me like legally speaking cuz you know, the, <laughs> I'm a kind of a, I'm a consumer here. Yeah. But they have the rights to or whatever to about 90% of what's what OpenAI has, and then that other ten percent is what was that bleeding edge stuff? Like, what are we what are we talking about them losing? For, okay, so from my understanding, and again, I am also not a lawyer. Uh, I've done some I've done some like reading about it and some interpretation from other people's interpretations. From my understanding, is they have the rights to everything in terms of all the code and technology that was written in OpenAI right now. So anything that was already done in OpenAI, they have the rights to. The only thing they don't have the rights to is as soon as OpenAI creates AGI, artificial general intelligence, right? They don't have the rights to anything after that. So they had a cutoff of like, hey, as soon as we, we – like you're helping us develop this thing. As soon as we develop this thing, that's it. You don't own any of it after that. Okay. So that, from my understanding, has not happened. Some people, there's some crazy speculation on the web saying that this was all happening because they were getting close to AGI or because AGI was just developed. And now, I, I, I don't believe any of that. I don't think AGI is developed. I think we're far away from that. Like, again, AGI is artificial general intelligence to the point where 
the computer is now thinking, right? Like the computer is now able to cognitively think. I don't know how we define that. Is that, is that conscious? Is that alive? Like what is like, where are we at? I don't know if alive, I don't know if we can say alive, but like can consciously think is something we can, (laughs) Matt's just put his, (laughs) Matt's probably thinking Skynet, but like it kind of is that. Um, And all of this is actually happening. Like the crazy part about this is the people that are opposed that, that actually like ousted Sam Altman are the altruistic people that are trying to slow down AI, right? Like if I, I'll, I'll go, I'll get into it. Screw it. This is a podcast you guys can listen to it. You can not listen to it, but open AI has the weirdest corporate structure of any company that exists. They're owned. They're a for-profit company, open AI. They are owned and operated by a nonprofit board. Okay. That Sam Altman himself created. So the Sam same Altman, one that out- ousted him. The same board that ousted him, he created and chose all the people on that board. Was the board now controlled by a cognitive AI? <laughs> That's what – I mean, there was a lot of jokes on that made that, for sure. Uh, very possible, but probably not. Um, they, The people that are, that are leading this coup, the two main people – I don't want to name them because uh, I just don't know their names and I don't care. Uh, but they're, two, they're, they're both part of the altruistic movement in AI in the sense that they are there to make sure that we're not creating something that will destroy humanity. Right? Like they're ve- it's a very interesting like almost cult-like movement um, where they're very much – they have their own groups, their forum message boards where they kind of go and discuss all the different developments. And these two people have ousted Sam Altman for, quote unquote, kind of lying to the board. We don't have many other details other than the fact that Sam Altman was not fully uh, transparent with the board. That's all we know. And they have not released any details about what he wasn't transparent about throughout this entire process. So they've brought in a new CEO, the ex-CEO of Twitch, as the current interim CEO of OpenAI. The current interim CEO now, the ex-CEO of Twitch, is trying to find out, like one of his first goals, his first missions that he posted publicly was like, I need to find out why Sam Altman was canned. The board is not giving their current interim CEO that information. So there's there's, there's already... they're pulling a Sam Altman kind of now. Now they're withholding information. Correct. Sort of. Yeah. Assuming we, Cam Altman was guilty of withholding information. Correct. In we the don't first know if place. He was. Yeah. We don't know if he was <laughs> because they have not released any information to back up their claims. It's a crazy situation. Like this is why I'm saying like I was literally like if I could have just sat in my seat and just had a big thing of popcorn, I would have just sat here and just like down popcorn the entire time just following it because – the the Microsoft announcement of them, um, yeah, the Microsoft announcement of them hiring Sam Altman happened at one a.m. Pacific time, right? <laughs> like, so you know Satya Nadella was literally like not sleeping from Friday till Sunday, trying to figure out how to manage the situation because he's bet everything on OpenAI. Every platform, like Matt said, video gaming, micro Windows, Bing, everything is use- utilizing OpenAI APIs. I never really thought of it from that perspective. 
actually. I knew they were involved and obviously we had that discussion, but I never really thought of what is the, what is another big feature that they've announced recently for a lot of their products? Because even like, or rather Copilot is even infiltrating the office slash the Microsoft 365 suite of products. Yep. Literally everything that they've announced in the last year has been related to AI. They have the biggest stake in AI. And uh, I think this has been confirmed. Satya Nadella was not made no, like was not given any heads up that Sam Altman was going to be fired until one minute before the announcement was made. So their biggest investor was not made aware of what is essentially a company ending situation almost at this point until a minute, <laughs> until a minute before. So he was pissed. Uh, from my understanding, like there was a lot of ins- insider information of him being extremely angry. Um, publicly, he said a lot of like really, you know, marketing speak and stuff like that. Uh, but even the, even through the marketing speak, you can kind of tell the position that he's taken. And the fact that he hired Sam Altman immediately to make sure that the stock doesn't go down. Because, like, think about the situation again. If Sam Altman were to just leave and then go to Google. Like, every company is going to try to – would have tried to take him at that point, right? So then that was a whole – like, I, I would not want to be – I would not want to be Satya Nadella on, a fri- on that Friday. Like that, that was probably not a good time to have. <laughs> but – He's pulled it out. Uh, so far, it's looking it's looking like Microsoft's going to get the W on this, um, and everything will be hopefully okay. But with that, OpenAI will probably crumble if that happens. Um, now, having said that, there is still a chance, apparently, and again, this is an ever developing situation that Sam Altman might be reinstated as CEO of OpenAI in a different heard about that too in a different capacity or like in a different. He probably have more ownership of the organization. And again, back to the whole nonprofit thing, like none of the people on the board of OpenAI that control this situation own any stock in OpenAI. In fact, some of the people, uh, one of them being the CEO of Quora, would you you could say is a direct competitor or is directly affected by the existence of something like ChatGPT. Like Quora, which is like that question and answer website, kind of like Stack Overflow, but for general questions, um, is kind of redundant when you have something like ChatGPT. So one of, one of the members is Quora, Quora CEO uh, of the board, and there's a couple others. So the situation is really, really weird in the corporate structure sense. They have full control. There's like four or five of them. There's a couple of people on the board from it, inside of OpenAI, one of them being the chief science officer of OpenAI, which is another co-founder of the company, who is, again, somewhat related to the altruistic movement. So he was also kind of assumed to be uh, trying to slow things down a little bit. And he was part of the one of the people that assisted the board in, in ousting Sam, has now flipped his switch and has now signed the letter that he's going to leave and join Microsoft. This is how crazy stuff is. Like everything is up in the air. No one knows what the hell is going on. It changes literally on on a daily basis or not on a daily basis, on a minute to minute basis. We don't know what's happening to the, one of the biggest companies to come out of Silicon Valley, which is saying a lot. Um, that affects all of us. Like it affects us as engineers. It affects anyone that's u- utilizing Windows at this point. Like <laughs> imagine if OpenAI turns off their APIs. 
Windows is like dead pretty much. Like I don't know what happens at that point. Well, Windows will just go back to like a year ago, which isn't all that bad. Although like it, it does, I guess, put them about a year back. Which is fine, but like that's to that's to assume that they they've supported the APIs being turned off, right? Like, what happens if they don't have a good error catching system in certain places? It might just be jank. I don't know. I would assume, and I don't yeah. have Copilot in proper installed because I'm using Windows 10 right now. But I would assume that Copilot would just be an app, and I would hope, and then it would just be like can't reach the thing. I would hope. Yeah. That would probably be the case. But anyway, like so, it would be a big deal regardless. Uh, if yeah, it's not good. Just- yeah, if they were just to turn off. So again, like it's just weird. Um, the other weird thing is that Sam Altman didn't have any a stake in OpenAI. Uh, I, 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 yeah, he didn't. Ha- he didn't own any shares of OpenAI. Um, so he was just the CEO, even though he was a founder and he was one of the creators of it. So this is again back to like the nonprofit situation. Uh, it's really, really strange. Is this what what I'm seeing on social media? So massive grain of salt, but I'm seeing a lot in these comment sections of people saying that OpenAI is an AI company that is anti-AI. Is are these like is 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 that hold true at all? And is that why the situation here is a little bit weird? I I think it had some it holds somewhat true in the sense that it was started as an as a company that's supposed to be very careful with AI. It was started with the full intention of, hey, AI could destroy us. We need to take this slow and we need to move carefully. But as it's progressed, it's stepped away from that. And I believe one of the main reasons that this is all happening is because the board felt that it was getting to a point where, you know, it was out of control. Like Sam Altman was going crazy in the sense that he just saw a way to progress it very quickly and very and without as many checks and balances in place as they would have liked. This is my like as this is my take on like probably the the least extreme version of what happened, right? Like everyone's talking about it from any different thing. Maybe altruistically they are correct. Like maybe they are trying to stop this from happening, but the problem is is that they didn't think it through. Like they didn't think through the Microsoft angle. They didn't think through the public angle. They didn't think through the employee angle. They, they didn't think through anything. Like no one thought, no one sat down and like, what's going to happen after we announce this, which is super strange to me, right? Like this wasn't, this wasn't planned. <laughs> like this wasn't properly planned in any way, shape or form for the magnitude of what they did. Um, I don't know. It's just super weird. And it definitely, severely backfired on them and it backfired on their movement as well. So apparently internally, everyone is very angry at the situation in their altruistic movement because now everyone hates them because like the, the you know, everyone loves Sam Altman and they've screwed him. And now everyone hates this altruistic movement because everyone's blaming it for the demise of open AI right now. I don't know. Anyway, um, I think that's enough talk about the situation, we've talked like for half an hour to give you the full context of what's happening. And, but let's talk a little bit at least about the technology that everything is kind of running on now. I'd actually like to just state, just for the record, the date right now is November 21st, 2023, because I'm sure the situation is going to be different once this show actually eventually goes live. I just wanted to point that out. That's a really good point, actually, Matt. Good call. Good call. The recording date is always on the site. But I know that not everyone's also checking the show notes, so I just wanted to say. (laughs) 
But you should check the show notes, by the way. Check our site out. Matt's been working really hard on the show notes pages, on the site pages. We have like blogs going up there all of a sudden. So definitely check the site out, htmlthings.com. But yeah, you're right, Matt. Not everyone's going to check. <laughs> so it's good to uh, let them know. So let's talk ChatGPT. I think this is one of the first things that people have experienced with this new AI. Um, we just had, you know, a couple couple a few weeks ago now, uh, Dev Day for OpenAI, where they announced ChatGPT 4.5 or 4 Turbo, uh, which is just a kind of a cheaper, faster version with more context of ChatGPT 4 or GPT 4. And they also updated their knowledge base to something like, I think, April of this year. Um, so giving us a little bit more up-to-date information rather than like, I think 2021 was the cutoff of the previous model. So that's great. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have already used it, but I'm just going to talk about what I personally use it for right now. The number one thing I think I use it for and the thing that it's helped me over anything else is troubleshooting. So before, if I was having an issue, if I was having an error code, if I was having an issue writing something and it was erroring and I didn't understand it, I would search Stack Overflow, uh, I would search Google, I would search GitHub issues. And I wouldn't say it, it's completely replaced all those things, but I put like some, some percentages down. I think it's replaced about 90% of my Stack Overflow queries and about 60, maybe 55% of my Googling and GitHub issue, right? So it's replaced a significant portion of my usage of the older way of troubleshooting, figuring out how everyone else did it, with just putting the error code into a ChatGPT text box, giving it some context of like, hey, I'm running this in a SvelteKit repo. Uh, it's just running in this file. And sometimes I'll give it the context of the full file that I'm running. Uh, and then I ask it what to do. And it usually gives me some steps that I can take uh, some some different ideas that it has. Not all of them pan out, but what I found it does really well is just it gets me thinking in a different way. And usually just from its like few examples of what it would try, I get to the next step. Like So I'm blocked a lot less than I was before ChatGPT, which is really great. It doesn't give me direct answers all the time, I would say, but it gives me ideas on where to go to get my solution. It, it's another quote unquote person to bounce your ideas off of. And it's at a moment's notice without you having to tap on your coworker's shoulder if they're even available at that time, which would add delay if they're not. Absolutely. And and like the rubber duck effect as well helps in the sense that like as you're providing context to it, as you're giving it more information, you're thinking about it a little bit differently. And sometimes literally just typing it in and like pressing enter, I have ideas on how I'm going to try to solve it. Right. So like that's why people say rubber duck debugging, like you have a little rubber duck toy and you just speak your problems to your little rubber duck toy. And as you speak, you think about it differently. It helps. It's the same thing here, but now the toy can speak back and actually give you some good steps to take and stuff like that. So it's a really cool way of troubleshooting. I highly recommend people try it. Now, I do actually want to ask you ask you a question about this. So um like, like you, you've mentioned that it's replaced 90% of your personal Stack Overflow searches and about 60% of your general Google searches with troubleshooting. Now, I know that there's obviously, we talked about how Quora has, you know, potentially an invested interest in 
not having this thing stick around or take over the market because obviously Cora, kind of a Q&A website, and you're kind of Q&A here. But when you use Bing AI or Copilot as it is now, and when you use Copilot, it gives you a whole bunch of quotes. So it'll say like, oh, you know, I, here's the solution I thought of. Here's the five bullet points you asked for. But here's my source material and here's the five or six or 10 or whatever websites that I use to generate this answer. And so my question with that is that what's the relationship there going to be moving forward? Because you are obviously going to Stack Overflow or you're going to a Google website and you're getting making them money by being on their site and having their ads, banners, all that stuff, right? Sponsored areas, sponsored posts show up in some capacity uh, on your actual page. And in some cases, you clicking on the article, if it's a sponsored article and there's a certain deal in place, the author or the, the website owner or whatever the deal outlines, there's money that are that is changing hands. So the question now is if 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 we just like take it outside of Quora and we apply it to Stack Overflow and apply it to the general blog community, let's say, of guides and all the rest of it, what's the relationship between AI and I guess like an old school at this point search? Because if there's no information, then the bot can't give you the answer. But if there's no one going to the sites, then there's no revenue, then there's no information. So it's like it's using like the bot. The bot is using a resource. That as far as I know, it is not paying for. And so by default, it is drying up its own information source. Is that a fair assessment for the current situation? It kind of, yeah. I, I believe that that's kind of happening uh, to a certain degree where some sites like Twitter, for example, has stopped allowing uh, site, uh, like bots to crawl it. Um, they've made very direct things to stop it. I believe Stack Overflow is also trying to stop it. Like a lot of sites are trying to stop bots or like specifically AI models from learning from them right at this point. What's been happening kind of on the side is that OpenAI has started to approach these larger companies, the larger data sets, and has started to negotiate with them about like paying them to use it. They're not going to do that for small fry stuff, but with stuff like, like, you know, maybe Forbes or uh, like larger media sites and maybe stuff, something like Stack Overflow, they'll work out a deal of some sorts. Um, but for the future of this, I don't know. Like it, it's a really good question. I don't know how they're like these other sites are going to be compensated, but the other idea is it, it can make deductions based on relevant information outside of what it knows, right? Like it, it does give you ideas that aren't directly related to the information it was trained on sometimes just based on like, you know, close information, proximity information. So if you're asking it about one programming language or one framework and it doesn't know enough about it, it'll reference another framework's methods and see how they did it. Take a look at what it knows about that programming language that you asked it about or the framework, whatever, and deduce something out of that to it makes it up. Like it does make stuff up. Um, whether that's helpful sometimes or not, that's another question, but it, it might not need as much new data as we think to continue to be relevant, but ideally it would have, it would want it. 
ideally to be better and better, it would want to keep consuming the newest content it could possibly consume uh, and make some sort of rating system on how good the content is and stuff. So I, I don't have all the inside workings of this stuff yet. I'm learning a little bit. Um, it's also new to all of us, to be fair. Correct. It's new to everyone, and everyone's kind of adapting to it right now. So whether it gets worse before it gets better again, it's possible uh, because of what you mentioned, Matt. But I think they'll figure it out. P- other places will have to adapt or die. That's my in my in my eyes. That's the only way to move to forward with this stuff. The you know the genies out of the bottle, cats out of the box, whatever. It's happened. It sucks for some of these websites like Stack Overflow House already suffered significantly because of it. I think they had to lay off like 50% of their workforce. They lost 50% of their traffic. They need to adapt. And I think they will. Like they're already making their own model. They're already going to be using – like they're, they, smart companies, smart founders will adapt and use this technology rather than uh, fight it. What What's interesting with you saying that though is that this is ringing – a bell in my mind of the crypto craze where crypto projects left, right and center, different coins, different NFTs. You're, Oh, I'm minting NFTs. I'm minting my own NFTs. Oh, I'm an influencer. I'm minting my own NFTs. Are we going to reach this critical mass point where, so right now, if you're a relatively unknown creator and you write an article on whatever it is, you write an article about how to uh, use uh, vanilla JavaScript. Like you just, you know, someone is completely new to web development and you're like, this is how you get started. Get a text editor, write the file up, blah, 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 save it as a .js and then, you know, open it up and blah, blah, blah. You know, you have the whole thing on how to make a very basic website and then the beginnings of the, of the vanilla JS. On Google, if you've done your research and let's say there aren't guides out there or aren't many, or you've scored better than the rest of them, then you could shoot up to the top five, maybe even the top result. And therefore you're going to be, you're going to, people are obviously going to come to your site and you're going to get that sort of revenue because people are clicking on your site, they're reading your stuff. And this is not the case for your bot though. Who's going to come to your bot it's a different course of action because Stack Overflow, sure, if they make their own model and I, and how I'm envisioning it is their own model that plugs into their existing website forum, but then also has an app or a web app, right? Where you go to like, I need Svelte help and you go to like, you know, whatever, stackoverflow.com slash GPT slash Svelte help or whatever it is. And then that's a Svelte help specialized bot, chat bot. That can help you. It can pull from Stack Overflow. It'll probably pull from other sources as well, I'd imagine. And then also deduces certain things. That is a different action, though, from the consumer perspective. And so only the biggest sites in this particular case will prevail. So what I mean by that is that if the only way currently that we can adapt is by making another model, I would estimate that we are in for another crash, like a crypto crash, where obviously your Ethereums and your Bitcoins are still relevant. They get hurt by the market being hurt. But Bitcoin and Ethereum have survived so many crashes and so many scandals and so many problems in the crypto space. Meanwhile, there have been other projects that are super promising and, oh my God, this is so amazing. And then 
it just crashes for whatever reason. You know, whether it was a scam, whether it wasn't sustainable, whether it lost support, whether the excitement died out for it, those type of things. And so, like, I'm thinking about my phone right now. How many GPT or how many, like, chat bots, really, am I going to have on my phone? And the answer is, like, maybe a couple, but not seven, eight, nine, ten. There comes a point when it's like Google is still the place to search in general. But then is there not enough people doing the general searches once all the GPTs come out? Like, what are we looking at here? And I'm not, I know that you don't have the answer to be fair. Um, but I guess I'm looking for your thoughts on it. Is that like, like, are we, it, it's, it's a classic human thing. When something new comes out, you think, oh my God, everything's going to crash. We're all going to die. Everything's going to blow up. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, it's all right. <laughs> you know? So, Maybe it'll be okay, but that is my question of like, are we now is basically, this is my ultimate fear saying this is that are we now funneling all the money up to the biggest websites and the biggest websites are the ones that get all the GPTs, then the tools to make GPTs, meaning making chatbots, let's say, that are specialized in certain areas like arts and crafts and programming and furniture making and antique restoration and sales and collecting and whatever all the other little niches are out there in the world. We get all these bots out, but then that leaves virtually no, if if literally maybe actually zero room for all of the sites that are, say, medium sized in the spaces. And then they just all die out. And I don't mean to sound like this, but are we like creating like a technical oligarchy where we're funneling all this information up? We all the little guys contributed and the big guys too contributed to these GPTs and the only people left are the top five or six or maybe 10 chatbots. And then the other guys are getting, you know, the remainder of the Google searches of which it will be potentially so reduced that it makes no sense because it's a fear for me because even you just said like, Hey, we have blog posts. Now we're spinning up a website. It, I don't think it's realistic for hat to have a GPT. Like, why would we do that? Why wouldn't you just go to the stack overflow GPT? Okay. So this is, it's, it, it, it's interesting that you're mentioning GPTs as like little apps and stuff like that, because that is something that I'm going to talk about in a second, but ju- just to, unwind your conversation the your fears a little bit um the first thing that you mentioned was like the crypto craze versus the ai craze right and how similar they are in sense of hype the difference between the two right now the crypto craze i have nothing against crypto i work in crypto i work in the security industry of crypto my thing is is that the use cases for it have never been general public Right. Like we haven't, there is no use case other than like some financial investment stuff for the general public for the crypto craze. In that sense, it was never going to be this crazy takeoff of like onboarding millions and millions of people in a short amount of time and changing the world that, that people were saying it was going to be. It was never going to be that. Right. That, that was just hype without any substance. With AI, I've just pulled up some numbers here with AI. ChatGPT became the fastest growing company to reach 100 million users in two months. Uh, since then, Threads has actually passed it, which is uh, Instagram's Twitter clone, but it died quickly after that. But regardless, uh, in two months, ChatGPT had 100 million users. It's now way over that, obviously. It's been way over two months. 
And it's one of the fastest growing applications ever. So it's a little bit different in the sense of, hey, is this hype going to explode and die down? Is this hype just hype without any sustenance? It's, it is not hype without sustenance. This is a real thing. It does have real world impact on many, many different industries right now. It's not something that replaces jobs currently, although it could stop extra hiring potentially where like one person can do more than they could before. So you don't need to hire extra people. Like it, it has real world impact across the industry, across industries. Okay. So AI does have that. The other thing that, I, that I'm going to unwind is your fear of the small creators or the small sites, the small blog sites dying out. Right. Um, that I don't know. Like my, my fear is the same. I think I, I, I'm very much not sure if that's going to be the case. I think there will be ways that smaller creators can leverage GPTs in a way that makes them relevant. Maybe they can make money on one of those ways. Recently, again, during the OpenAI Dev Day, it was announced that you can create your own GPTs through their interface. And uh, what, what that means is that you can create a little chatbot, essentially, in in a in a in a UI on uh, OpenAI's website or ChatGPT's website, I can't remember, and have it be accessible to the public, and you can like you know put it onto your website maybe, or just make it accessible to the public. And on top of that, you can also eventually, they said that in a couple months or in a month or so, they're going to be releasing a GPT store, so you could create your own little chatbot, feed it whatever data you want. So for example, let's let's talk HTML of things. We could take all of our blog posts, take all of our transcripts, put them into Markdown or PDF format, give it to this GPT bot. It could take that all that. We could give it some context of what we wanted to do. Like, hey, I want you to search through our through our through all of our archives, through all of our blog posts and provide the users with examples of what they want in our own tone because it'll know our tone because of the transcripts, right? We could do that and then we could put it on the store and have people buy it if we wanted to. So I don't know why people would buy it. I don't have a very good use case for like selling GPTs yet. They think it's going to be a big deal. I haven't figured out how, but that again, it's evolving. Like it's every, every day something new is popping up in the AI space. Every day there's companies that are being formed and shut down because of innovations in AI. For instance, like this GPT thing that was announced. A lot of companies were making their entire startups and raising funds around being a wrapper for ChatGPT, providing context to ChatGPT and then making a chatbot around it using the APIs. All of those companies now need to adapt because they've just been replaced by a built-in tool that allows anyone, including our, like myself or including whatever, like anyone that doesn't even have coding experience, it's literally like a step-by-step -step UI builder to make their own GPT. So now you have to pivot. Now you're either going to die or you're going to pivot to something that's going to be on top of this GPT thing or something. I don't know. So it's really hard to predict what's going to be made irrelevant. It's hard to predict the oligarchy situation. At the end of the day, the whole altruistic movement, everything with AI, AI will most likely impact the human race in the sense that it will start replacing jobs at some point. I don't know if that's 10 years away. I don't know if that's, you know, 50 years, 100 years. I don't know. But it will probably, from what I've seen, its capabilities, it will probably start replacing jobs. And we're going to have to figure out what to do with people that can't 
find work. That that's an inevitability across robotics, across AI, across you know how we're running the planet right now. Okay, I, I in my opinion, one hundred percent, that's where we're going. So whether it matters that smaller corp, smaller blogs can survive on money or not might not be relevant in the future when this stuff settles down because if you and I are not working Matt right and we're not getting paid to work i mean realistically we're not going to sit on our ass and do nothing or i would just make html things for free and whatever like i'll just I'll, i like talking about web development so i'd probably go that down that route and still make a website, still make a podcast, uh, maybe still even do a blog, maybe still even do some coding just for fun. And maybe you would do gaming or someone else would like, you, you know what I mean? Like we would be free, we would be freed up to do whatever we wanted. And so the smaller stuff would still exist in that way. It sounds like a dystopia. <laughs> it has a potential to be like, it or- sounds, it sounds a little bit rugged because the way you're describing it is a utopia. Yeah. But the reason why I see it as a dystopia is like I could see g- governments in general being like, oh, man, everyone's no one's no one's employable. What do we do? I don't know. Let's wait five years and see what happens. Oh, and it's getting pretty bad. What do we do? <laughs> man, we should probably start talking about this five years. Another five years go by. Man, it's 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 bad. What do we do? I don't know. Uh, start shutting down services like just being like, just being fools, like not reacting. As you yeah. would think that you would. And the reason you think that is because that's kind of the history that we can look back on. The, the unfortunate thing is that there have ne- there has never been a utopia. Yes. Right? Like we've never yeah. we've, we've 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 had opportunities like communism was supposed to be a utopian society. Realistically, that failed and is failing terribly. Right. Like that's not utopian in any way, shape or form. Like it's you could you could say that that is closer to, to dystopia. So. I, I'm choosing for my own sanity <laughs> to be more optimistic because I don't see myself as being able to influence the situation. If it turns into a dystopia, it turns into a dystopia regardless. Whatever. I'm choosing yeah, we're, we're to be We're not the shot callers is what you're saying. So, yes. and, and, and there's no plan for us to become the shot callers. So therefore you're just more or less, I guess, along for the ride. And you can have sort of, you know, some influence here and there, but it, it's sort of like the people complaining about how f- factories started automating. And then, I mean, then factories automated, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like they delayed it by a little bit, maybe like they might have had a somewhat influence on it, but factories be automating. It's not going to stop. Yeah. I don't crazy know. stuff. Like, it's it's interesting, but yeah, it's it's a little bit scary. Um, so I'll continue here. I'm not going to go through all my notes because I, I don't think it's super relevant uh, with the discussion that we've had, honestly. But I do want to at least cover the chat GPT stuff right now. Uh, let's talk code reviews. So something that I'm personally not very good at and I love to receive is code reviews. And if you are someone that is kind of learning development and you don't have anyone to talk to, you don't have a mentor, ChatGPT is kind of the perfect mentor uh, in the sense that you never have to wait for them to respond. You never have to wait for your pull request to get merged. What you can do is literally just upload the code that you wrote. Hopefully it's enough, it's short enough that it can fit in the context of ChatGPT and ask it for a code review. 
Now, it will give you some information that's relevant and it'll give you some information that's like a suggestion and its own opinion. You could, you could give it kind of a, a context of, Hey, I want you to be a code review. Like it was, this was software written for Google, or I want you to be a more relaxed code review, whatever you respond to best, right? Like this is the advantage of having something that you control that can give you criticism in workplace, you have to just take whatever your manager or the other people give you. Like if they give you a great code review, great. If they are more critical than you like, you can talk to them, but that doesn't mean they're going to stop. Like there's <laughs> nothing you can do. ChatGPT, you can tell it exactly the way you want it to be. And I highly recommend you do. And you uh, get some pretty good feedback. Like I've gotten feedback that's saved some security issues. I've gotten feedback that's optimized my code. Uh, I've gotten feedback that has formatted my code better. I've gotten feedback that's been kind of useless too, but that's the nature of code reviews in general. Like code reviews aren't always going to catch everything and code reviews aren't always going to tell you the right information every time. So you get the real experience with ChatGPT on code reviews. I'll tell you that. Uh, next thing here is security reviews. So similar to code reviews, a lot of times if I'm writing an API endpoint, um, I usually use TRPC and I usually use some like some sort of API control, some, some sort of security. I send it through and I'm like, Hey, does this send back any, uh, potential sensitive information? Like if I, if I, for instance, never want to send back emails in a public endpoint, that's context that I could give ChatGPT. I never want emails to be sent out publicly. Do I have a potential with this code that I've written to send out emails from my database? And it can tell me, hey, in this part, you're adding, you're having an include instead of a select in your database query. That include could contain emails if your schema supports it. And so it tells me where to look to make sure that my security is on point. Uh, another thing that is tough to get, but is really nice to do on ChatGPT. Another thing, uh, documentation writing. So again, writing APIs, right? Like writing APIs is interesting. Writing documentation for APIs sucks. So a lot of times what I will do is I will write an API. I'll comment it as best I can. I'll give ChatGPT some context and give it the, the API code that I wrote and be like, write documentation for it. Give an example of how someone would use it. And it does all that for me. And recently, I mentioned G GPTs to Matt, uh, to just like it, they made one. I've created a GPT with some context of, hey, this is the format that I want my APIs to be written in. This is an example documentation. So I gave it an example documentation that it's already written for me and I liked. Please do use this format for all the following documentation that I've written. So now I've created a GPT on top of ChatGPT that will always give me the right formatted documentation for my APIs. So like, it's, it's fantastic. Like it's, it saves me tons of time. Writing that by hand is like very, very time consuming. Another big thing that it does is SQL queries. I am not a database expert in any way, shape or form. I know some SQL. I know some selects. Uh, I know a very limited amount. I usually use Prisma, which is an ORM that kind of avoids SQL, but sometimes it's required for more efficient ways of querying a database, especially in a complex uh, query when you have to get multiple different things from multiple different tables and join them together. You sometimes require raw SQL and I don't write it. What I do is I will ask 
in English what I want from my database. I will feed the schema of the database to ChatGPT and I'll be like, write the SQL query. And then usually what I'll do is I'll take that SQL query that it writes, give it to a seasoned developer that knows SQL to review it. Uh, but that's not like if you don't have that, it's OK. You can test it on a test database. Not a big deal. It's just a lot of the stuff that we work with is very sensitive. So I just want to I, I get a double check on my SQL queries before uh, putting it into production. Um, but, yeah, usually it, it writes really good ones. Uh, sometimes it writes slightly inefficient ones that need to be tweaked. But for the most part, they're better than my Prisma queries. And uh, I don't have to learn that language. I just don't learn it. It's the same thing with regex. I don't know regex. I learned it at some point, and then I'm like, why am I learning this? I hate this. And I would, before ChatGPT, I would just go into one of those regex builders and kind of relearn it a little bit and tweak it here and there and spend like 30 minutes trying to get it. With ChatGPT, I'm like, this is what I'm going to be – this is what you're going to be parsing. Parse this out of it. It writes my entire regex query. Fantastic. So – that's really it. That Those are my biggest use cases for ChatGPT. I'm sure I use it for other things. Like content creation-wise, I do use it for that, but that's outside of development, so I'm not going to talk about it. Um, there's not much There's not much else that I need it for because there's other tools that will do it, that will do other things for me. Like when I'm actually writing in my code base, I have GitHub Copilot activated, so it will do contextual field, like autocomplete. Uh, that's fantastic. It uses the same API as ChatGPT pretty much. But it has the context of your code. It, I don't know if it has the context of the full code base, but it has the context of the code you've written recently and the file that you're writing it in, right? And so it, it even matches the style sometimes that you're writing, which is really nice. And a lot of repetitive tasks, a lot of writing my like array filters and maps and reduces. Uh, it's just really good at auto-completing based on context, right? Anytime I need to do like a quick scaffolding of a UI, like, hey, I need an admin dashboard, uh, just like with a header, sometimes I'll just write a comment, right? I'll write a comment of what I need and then I will get that built out for me in some sort of scaffolding situation. I'll have to edit it. I'll have to put my own styling behind it. It doesn't do everything, but it does a lot of my like repetitive tasks and the stuff that sets up where I can just do some manipulation. It, it's really, really, really useful. Like when I heard about this open AI drama, my worry was that my GitHub Copilot would be deactivated. I still worry about that. That's probably going to happen. Like, there's a very good chance that if 750 out of 770 employees of OpenAI will leave, like they are signing a letter to, I mean, that's company killer right there. Like, 20 people aren't going to be able to keep up servers <laughs> that that are running all this stuff. It's just not possible. And most likely, those 20 people won't want to do it anyway. So, yeah, that's there's a, there's a very big potential of if this isn't resolved by the board that we might see the end of these tools for a short amount of time. I still think that most likely what's going to happen is it, worst case scenario, everyone leaves and goes to Microsoft or a, a big portion leave and go to Microsoft and these tools go down. Microsoft will spin up something fairly quickly. It's crazy how much this has already revolutionized your your workflow. And how many companies it has touched, big ones, like we're talking Microsoft, of course. And it's it's at a potential like failure point already, which is crazy. It's sort of it's almost like I mean, in a smaller scale, but it was almost like when Twitter kept posting uh, way before Elon and all that, they kept posting losses. 
And people were like, how? Every single news network and every single event and every single yada, 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 every influencer is on there constantly posting content, looking at content. So obviously they're looking at ads. What is going on here? And then there was obviously threat at that point because it's like, well, Twitter's not making any money. This big old news source, this big old content source might go down the drain. And it's like people were like, how is this possible? This kind of feels like those days again where this is and this is a big old upset that wasn't done with a quarterly result that was unfavorable. And then analysts and, you know, whomever else started speculating. This is a company implosion. I'm going to call it (laughs) in a matter of days during its peak, a company implosion during its like biggest biggest it's ever been best it's ever been. And it's not like a 10 year down downhill like there was, you know, it didn't, it's not like a hit peak, fell 20%, then kind of plateaued, but with a downward trend. This is just like, boop, right to the top. And then it's uh, almost in what I would say almost free fall now. I don't know about stock price and all that. I'm just talking about the situation seemingly there, the, the no stability, stock. I guess, of the situation that seems to be in free fall at the moment. So yep. it's nuts. It's, it's literally a crazy situation. Uh, like, the, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think we've talked enough about it, but like, holy crap. Let us know what you think. Again, uh, we're at HTML Everything on Twitter. So if you want to let me know your thoughts on all of this AI stuff, reach out to me there because I'm really down to talk about it, obviously. <laughs> let me ask you a question here then. So obviously, you know, you're talking about how much OpenAI touches all these other AI companies and such like that. Where are we at? This is sort of a change in gear, but it is an AI question is where are we at in terms of using other tools to do things? What I mean by that is, is I'm a chat GPT user. I'm a Bing chat user. Um, and I do use some image generators, specifically, usually the Bing one, although I've, I've used some others like the Canva one and things like that. But I see all these Twitter threads, which I tip, tend to ignore, uh, to be honest about you know, this is how I made $15,000 a month on YouTube and you could do this too. And they, they outline their 10 step procedure and with it, the 10 steps that they use for their AI, they'll have like this AI and I'm just making this up. It's like this AI does my taxes. This AI does my investing. This AI does my e-commerce. This one makes, makes and maintains my website. This one does the images. This one does at what point or I guess what, yeah, what point are we at? with other tools like have you really touched many other tools because obviously you're still programming you're being assisted by ai are we really at a point in which these are these threads is there any validity to them where there are literally companies that are using daisy chaining let's say nine tools or something like that all together to to do all of their functions like if i suddenly really don't want to file my receipts at the end of the year is there an ai that just does that you know where are we at with stuff like that I don't think like I don't think anything replaces full workflows quite yet. I think those all those threads and all those examples are very much cherry picked and situations that just like you can't really rely on on a day to day basis. Having said that, like most of those are using are built on top of OpenAI's APIs, but if OpenAI were to leave right now, like explode to today, which is again very possible, um there are other companies working on this stuff as well. And they are not like, they're not at GPT-4 levels in terms of like the best. GPT-4 is still the best, 
But companies like Anthropic, which is owned by Amazon, and companies like uh, Llama, the lo- like open source Llama uh, LLM, which is owned by Facebook, and like you know DeepMind and all the Bard stuff with Google, like all of these aren't terrible as well, right? Like I, I have another um, coding AI that I use sometimes outside of ChatGPT. It's free right now. I don't know how. But it's really fast and it, it like for coding related questions, it does a really good job. Very close to GPT-4. Um, I can't remember what it's built on. I think it's an open source one. And uh, so like OpenAI leaves today. I won't be like, okay, I have to, re- you know, I can't use Copilot, sure. But I'm still going to use troubleshooting with this new, with this other one. I'm still going to be able to probably use other things. Like it's not the end of the world for sure. Uh, I don't use it for writing my complex code. Like it's not something that I particularly rely on a lot of the time anyway. Again, it's very, very strict things that I use it for and I keep it to that for now. Uh, it's expanding pretty quickly on what I will try to do with it. But overall, I'm still writing like, you know, over 80% of my code at least. Um but yeah, like it, I don't, I don't think we're there where it replaces entire workflows and can like, it, a lot of people will be like, it's doing my entire social media process where it writes my tweet for me and it posts it for me and it be, creates my short and posts my short. Like all that stuff, in my opinion, is bullshit. Like if it is doing that, it's doing it terribly in, in ways that is never going to benefit you. Um, now if you do part, parts of your workflow in it, that's a different story, right? Like if you do like your, a brainstorming for instance brainstorming ideas i think it's great at that it'll give you ideas really quickly and then like maybe editing your text a little bit zhuzhing it up it can do that especially if you're not a native english speaker it can do stuff i i, I believe there are some video tools out there that can enhance your stuff with ai and it can do some ai video creation as well they're very early in my opinion like the video creation too specifically i wouldn't use right now for any sort of real work um I know there's image tools that are crazy, like I was going to talk about in this episode, Crea AI. Uh, it's like an image creation tool with AI, but it lets you use any form of prompting. So it has this thing where you can upload an image, you can prompt it with text, and then you can also draw on the screen and like show what you want. So like one of the examples is like uh, you draw like, you, you type in a prompt saying like, I want a, a frog on a lily pad, right? And then it'll it'll AI generate a frog on a lily pad, like a regular tool. But then you're like, well, I want the frog to be blue. So you draw like a blue circle in like, in like a paint editor thing. And now it like automatically assumes that that's where you want the frog and it'll put the frog wherever you drew the circle and make it blue. And then you're like, you put like another blue circle on top of it and then it automatically assume and it'll change the prompt as well being like, oh, you want two frogs on top of each other, Right. So it, it'll, it allows you to multi-prompt it from many different ways. And then if you like the image, you can like import it back into your image and start adjusting it as well. Like, hey, I want some grass over here on the image that you've already created. Like, it's a crazy workflow that we've never thought would be like, I never thought would be possible or even could have dreamed of. And it's already happening. So there are things that are happening that are really, really cool on top of these AI tools. But it's these it's part of your workflow. It is not replacing it. Because we're we're always seeing that, right? Where 
everyone think everyone I shouldn't say everyone's saying, but like everyone on this hype train, I guess, that are trying to become influencers or are influencers in it are saying this is com- this is completely replacing writers. This is completely replacing social media managers. This is re- completely replacing. And then you go, or at least I will, I'll go to Copilot, ask it a question. Sometimes it'll be something real easy. I'll be like, yo, give me five examples. It'll give me six or it'll give me four. And it's gotten the number wrong. And I'm thinking to myself, is this thing really, really at the point in which it's going to replace everything if I can't? Cause like I've gone, I've gone to it to correct itself and said, Hey, you gave me five instead of four. And it'll be like, Oh, my apologies. And then it'll give me five again. It's like, Oh, okay. Like we're kind of still sometimes you're impressing me and sometimes you're not impressing me. Right. And, and to, to run a whole company like that would be pretty interesting and probably not entirely possible <laughs> as such as the hype train that is AI these days. Yep. That's exactly it. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think we've AI'd ourselves out at this point. Um, I got to go start reading more about what's happening with Sam Altman now. Did something pop up as we were doing this? Like, is this, is that what's happening now? Do you have, do you have a live update on your screen? As we I speak? do not, I do not. I was actually going to look, but no, I, I don't have a live AI update. Okay. Well, that concludes our episode today. Oh, oh uh, nope. I do have oh, an update. Before, oh, before here we go. I found an update. <laughs> Who is this from? What's the source? What's the source? Unusual Whales. Uh, it's like a finance Twitter account um, or a news Twitter account. I don't even know, but I, I have seen them break some news. Here's the tweet. OpenAI's new CEO, Emmett Shear. This is uh, in, in quotes. This is uh, Twitter's ex-CEO. Who Twitter's ex-CEO. Twitter, no, sorry, not Twitter's, uh, Twitch. Twitch's, Twitch's ex-CEO, who was appointed yesterday, is in talks to resign. <laughs> oh, this is from Bloomberg, so sorry. It, it, it is a fairly credible source. You can't see me, but I'm I'm holding my head. When I say this is happening in real time and I'm literally eating popcorn all the time, like I'm not joking that this is the one of the craziest situations – in Silicon Valley, which is already prone to crazy situations I've ever seen. I can't Period. wait for some of these tools to go down and then for the for the slew of tweets that are like, good, now all you people can get a real job. And it's like, you're on Twitter telling me this. <laughs> do you, would, do you, would you like your tech to continue functioning? Because clearly you're into Twitter enough to tweet that out or you're on X or whatever the hell it is now. <laughs> crazy. Can't wait. Can't wait for it. I love I love those. I love those comments, though. Get a real job. And my my thought always is, should I like shovel gravel? Like, what do you like? What do you mean by a real job? All these computer people, they're, you know, you guys are just sitting at your computer doing nothing. It's like you're benefiting from all this. You, you use credit cards and stuff, right? This is all computer, quote unquote, computer people doing their doing their fake jobs, making sure everything's working. And I can't wait for the slew of the anti AI Get a real job, people. Can't wait for it. Maybe we'll have an update on that next week. <laughs> All the viral ones, if there are any. But that concludes this episode. If you enjoyed this discussion on AI, remember we you can sponsor or not sponsor. Well, I guess you can sponsor it, but you can support episodes like this on our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash HTML. All the things. 
And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Tim from the Web Hacker on the webhacker.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff Kale, Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com, Gunner Brunette via gunnerbrunette.com, Latoto Coding via latotocoding.com, Garrett Segal, and Level Up Financial Planning via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com. Remember, we also have a Scrimba affiliate link if you want to learn how to code with an interactive media player code editor. Go check that out. They have some AI stuff actually going on right now. They talked about some sort of course or something like that that they're, that they're working on at the moment. So go and check that out. Our affiliate link will be available in the show's description if your podcast app supports hyperlinks. If it does not, it will be at HTML allthethings.com within the show notes. And as a final note, we'd also like to give a shout out to Michael LaRocca, a contributing author on HTML, allthethings.com. Michael is the author of the self-taught, the X generation blog at selfTaughttxg.com. Go check that out too. Feel free to leave a comment or review in the platform you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. You've been listening to HTML, all the things podcast web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.